John chapter 3. Starting with verse 1. Anyone ever heard of John chapter 3? Pretty well known, right? Even if you watch Monday Night Football, you'll see John 3.16. Well, not lately because there's no fans in the stands, but it used to be that way. John chapter 3, starting verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How how can a man be born when he is old? And can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we, all letters are capital we's by the way, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, Jesus speaking in the plural, and you do not receive our plural witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. We're going to stop there because we've got to cover the rest of chapter 3 next week, which includes, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That's in the next part, same night. Let's pray. Lord, we just bow before you. We're grateful to be here gathered in this sanctuary, in living rooms. Maybe someone's driving down, listening while they're headed to work. Lord, we're thankful that we can be gathered as the family of God to hear your word. This is a passage we've probably heard a million times and need to hear it a million times more In the sense, Lord, we need a greater appreciation for the power of the gospel, the necessity of being born again. And I pray if any are watching online or here that have never heard this, or maybe they're visiting, or maybe they've never been born again, Lord, you would prick their heart. I certainly can't do that, but you can. The Holy Spirit does that work as we've just read. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And Lord, I just ask again that you'd remove me once again from the equation that people would hear from you and not from me in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. John the Apostle, uh, just kind of a little bit of a review, because we just finished chapter 2, but John the Apostle, he closed chapter 2 recording what? He recorded that many in fact believed in Jesus, but that Jesus did not commit himself to them. That although they believed things about Jesus, they had not placed their full faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. They had not, as we talked about last week, they had not exercised that childlike faith in Christ that places our our lives in his hands with that complete dependence on Christ for forgiveness and salvation. Just like Charles Blondin walking you across the tightrope of Niagara, that you get in that wheelbarrow and say, I'm putting my total trust And so as we looked at last week, and is of the utmost importance, we looked at true faith versus head knowledge. And the fact that Jesus is the one that determines if our faith is genuine. He makes that determination. And he gives us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee, if we really do belong to him, we get the Holy Spirit sealed in our hearts. We also know, this is good to know, we also know that God is never willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3.9. He's patient. When you say he's patient with you, patient with me, patient with Washington, D.C., he's patient. 
allow, but individual. I'm talking really more of the individual heart. He's patient with anyone, and he's willing to allow us to bring our questions to him, as we see in this chapter, if we're coming with a sincere heart seeking truth. You can't play games with God, but you can bring real questions. Lord, I, I really need to know. So here in the dark of the night, one man, a deeply religious man. This ought to tell you for, for certain, religion can't save you. A deeply religious man. Not just any religion, the Jewish religion given by God to Abraham. A deeply religious man. In fact, a leader of leaders. He does come. He's seen the power and the authority in Jesus, and he's determined to find definitive answers to the questions in his heart. His name, you know it, Nicodemus. My good friend, Pastor Sam Nadler, Word of Messiah Minister, calls this Nick at Night. The Nick at Night encounter. And he not only finds the answers when he goes to Jesus to questions that he can't even adequately clarify. They're just kind of there. But little does he know that his middle-of-the-night visit with Jesus is preordained by God to illuminate the gospel for all time. His night will be used forever. You guys are missionaries in the Philippines. I'm sure you've used John chapter 3. Everyone's used John chapter 3. That this one night will be immortalized for all eternity. Preordained as a key pillar within the framework of the gospel. Today's focus is what we need. When we get to the second part of John chapter 3, it'll be how God provides it. Does that make sense? Today is more what we need. Next week will be the second part of how does God provide it by the sending of Jesus. But if you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. We must be born again. Jesus proclaims the need of new birth. We have to have a new birth. First thing we want to look at if you're taking notes, what I've titled, A Seeking Heart. We don't know exactly who Nicodemus was, but scholars do believe that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the council of 70 religious rulers in Israel. Jesus refers to him as a teacher of Israel, clarifying that he had significant authority. Significant authority. He didn't normally kind of cower in the alleys to do any meetings. But with that authority would come wealth and stature. It always has in human history. Whenever you have authority in this world, somehow... You ever notice our politicians, they retire and they become millionaires really fast? <laughs> with power and authority comes wealth and stature. People will just... You'll have a celebrity status. He would later partner with a wealthy convert named Joseph of Arimathea and burying the body of Jesus. Both men would kind of come out of the shadows and really name the name of Christ. Both men were probably part of the same social circle of the Jerusalem elite. And if you've been to Israel and you've seen the scale model, you see where the elite used to live. You can see it there. You guys remember the scale models, that lower, the massive houses, they dwarf the small little houses. It was also, they lived adjacent to the temple. By the way, as a general rule, the more, and listen if you're online, as a general rule, the more wealth, the more power, the more possessions, the more status, the more popularity that people have, the harder it is for them to see their need for the Lord. It's hard to see your need for the Lord when you can solve most of your own problems by stroking a check or picking up the phone and saying, take care of this for me. Jesus said this. If you think, I, I'm not making this, this isn't some kind of pastor making it. Jesus said it, and the apostles wrote it. Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 24. Surely I say to you, it is hard. Jesus not mincing words here. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You try and put, stick a camel into a needle. If you ever hear pastors teach, it was actually a little tiny, narrow uh, way that they would squeeze the camels. That story is totally not 
what Jesus is talking about. That wouldn't be miraculous. They would see that happen all the time. So you had to get the camels down their knees, and they had to go through this little narrow thing, and that's how they got through, and that was called the eye of the needle. doesn't matter if that was called the eye of the needle. That's not what Jesus was talking about. That wouldn't be miraculous. That's why they said, well, then who in the world could be saved? Because they, it boggled their mind that you could actually stick a camel into the eye of a needle or through the little eye of a needle. No, Jesus says it's hard because when you don't think you need God, you think you are God until you go to meet God someday. The apostles, well, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.26, for you see, you're calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, not many called, not many Ivy League, not many billionaires, it's, but not many of you that have all the power and the authority, but Paul says, but yet you've come to the Lord because you realized your need. Remember that all 12 of the disciples, all 12 of the disciples were from where? Galilee. They were all Galileans. All 12 of them. Which was the low rung of the social ladder. They were all Galileans. Not going to name any states to offend anybody, so we'll just leave it there. <laughs> Several were fishermen. Not the kind of today's bass fishermen that are on the tour with all the patches. They were fishermen, just kind of dirty, making ends meet fishermen in the Sea of Galilee. They were considered blue-collar and uneducated. They were. That sound familiar? Today we consider some people. We as Christians shouldn't think that way, but I'm telling you, society does. You can tell by the way they say things. But they were considered blue-collar and uneducated. Some were zealots. They were zealous for Israel, and they caused trouble, which could get people in trouble with Rome, which unsettled the elite who had all the power. Matthew was a tax collector. This was the lowest of all low positions in the Jewish mind. It was the dirtiest of jobs to collect money for Rome. And even worse, that he was a Jew. That made it ten times worse than a Gentile doing it. So Jesus' disciples, they were not a bunch of respected men among the elite, among the wealthy, among the well-educated, among the religious leaders. Basically, that was the ancient Jewish aristocracy that Nicodemus is part of. That's, that's his group. The Galilean fishermen disciples, that's not his group. Now, in addition to this context, you've got to remember our previous studies what had Jesus just done? He had just cleaned out the temple. Not just cleaned it out, but flipped the tables and the money changers and drove everybody out with a whip. He had just done this, and he had condemned their sin in making the temple what? A den of thieves or a den of sin. So the religious elite were, they already didn't like the low class disciples, but now this is festering. Remember, he called the temple his father's house. His father's house. No doubt that incensed the priesthood, because Jesus was not of the Levitical priesthood. He's of the tribe of what? Judah. To top it all off, they still didn't understand what he meant about destroying the temple and then raising it up in three days. Jesus has caused a lot of frustration in the wealthy elite in this Passover trip to Jerusalem. And they didn't like any of this. They definitely didn't like that he was talking about the temple being destroyed. And the people in the multitudes, another issue is the people in the multitudes are now flocking to Jesus to hear him teach. And they weren't going to who? The priesthood to hear them teach. Some had been healed by Jesus. These guys couldn't heal people. So this is a problem. They couldn't do that. It's only year one of Jesus' ministry here. Only year one of his public ministry, and the religious leaders are already starting to get fed up with Jesus. They thought John the Baptist was a problem. Jesus is a bigger problem. because They didn't like John the Baptist either. 
his cousin. But just as many have this disdain for Jesus, Nicodemus is noodling. Don't ever, when you go to work on Monday or Tuesday, don't ever take for granted the person who kind of, you've heard them mock Christianity. Don't take for granted that sometimes they're actually watching saying, I wonder if I shouldn't be investigating this. I wonder if that Bible I shouldn't crack. I wonder if what them praying over lunch tells me something about their relationship with God versus my relationship with God. Don't take for granted that people aren't thinking sometimes. Because Nehemiah is thinking, I've got to get to him and have a conversation. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, but for he who comes to God must believe. That word believe is going to be very central to John chapter 3, isn't it? John 3.16 and that he's a rewarder of those that what? Diligently seek him. And by the way, this goes on the whole rest of your Christian life. Not just that you diligently, um, when I got saved, I was going to church Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, and we were diligently saying, is this true? Do I need to do this? Must we confess? But then after salvation, the diligence has to continue too. The Lord told me, you're going to get, you're going to drive in the snow and you're going to go preach John chapter 3. What if I go on a ditch? Then you're going to walk in and preach John chapter 3. No, whatever. And I call Trevor and pick me up. But, um, but Nicodemus, he has enough faith and interest to go and seek. Say, so I, I don't have the answers. Everyone else, my peer group says this man is nuts. But I see people getting healed. I heard his authority. I saw everyone run out of the temple. They knew the Holy Spirit's power. I saw the power of God on this man. I saw that he's not insane. He's powerful. There's something about him. I need to go see him. He doesn't have saving faith yet, but he's definitely seeking with a real heart. Genuine. I've, I, I love when I get a chance to talk to people and they really sincerely are asking questions. I'm not put off that they're not believers yet or they don't believe what I believe or that doesn't make sense to them. Sincere questions is a great opportunity for dialogue. And so he presumably finds out where Jesus is staying and he finds his way there in the, under the cover of darkness. And Jesus, knowing everything, knows he's going to come, doesn't he? Of course he does taking notes, second thing we're going to look at this morning, a surprising statement. We looked at a seeking heart, a surprising statement here. Jesus could have, as Jesus is wherever he was staying there in Jerusalem, he could have counted down till the knock from Nicodemus. Five, four, three, two, one. Jesus could have counted it down. He knows everything. He, could have known, he would have known exactly what Nicodemus was going to say. Can you imagine Jesus in every setting, every single setting of his life, can you imagine Jesus knowing precisely what's coming out of a person's mouth, which does not always match what's inside? You know this. You watch the news, right? He's simultaneously, when he's talking to anyone, anyone he's talking to, Remember he's talking to Peter? Peter. Satan desires to sift you as wheat. Say, Peter has no idea this is going on. Right? I love what a pastor said. You told him no, right, Jesus? Yeah, but he didn't. Uh, he let that happen. He knows what's in a person's mind. He knows what's going on in the spiritual realm. He knows what the demons are doing, what the angels are doing. He knows what every single thought. You don't even know all your thoughts right now, and he does. Isn't that amazing? He knows every motive, every issue, every sin. And so here in the dark of the night, not only is Jesus expecting that Nicodemus will come and find him, not only is he knowing the very first thing that he would say, but all the other unseen confusion inside of Nicodemus that he can't even articulate. You ever been there in your own prayer life? That's why the book of Acts says the Holy Spirit utters prayer intercedes in us in utterings we can't understand because we can't even understand our own prayers sometimes. Once you're saved, once you're saved, listen, those of you online, once you're saved, you are truly glad that God knows you more than you know you. 
Once you're saved, you come to the realization, you know, the, the world talks about self-actualization. No such thing in a sense that you can actually realize how wretched you are, but once you get saved, you're glad God knows you better than you know you. Very glad. Because he can fix things in you that you could never fix in yourself. He can address things. He can change things. But let's look at what Nicodemus says in Jesus' response. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we note verse um, 2 here. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Rabbi, meaning teacher. We know that you're a teacher from God. No one can do these signs, clear the temple, heal people, whatever he's done. No one can do this unless God is with him. Jesus, uh, Nicodemus' opening can be translated... I'm just paraphrasing. You're definitely sent from God, and this is my, my thinking of how Nehemiah is thinking. You're probably at least equal to the prophets and other great men of God. That's kind of where he's thinking you're, you're kind of like an Elijah. You've got to be like a Daniel. You're like a Jeremiah in his mind. Because remember, he understands all the law, the Old Testament. But Jesus goes right past Nicodemus's assessment, and goes to Nicodemus' greatest need. As it appears, there's some internal questions that he's having in himself. Maybe, maybe he's thought, because Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, you must be born again. That's Jesus' response to Nicodemus saying, I know you're a great teacher. You come from God. No one can do these things. Jesus goes right past all that and to those internal questions that I believe Nicodemus was having in himself that he was not verbalizing. A lot of people that you are around are having questions that they're not telling you. They don't fall asleep as easy as they make it sound. They don't believe everything they say they believe. They have doubts about their own theology, but they'll tell you they have no doubts about it. And maybe Nicodemus is thinking to himself, is my Jewish being enough? Is being Jewish enough? Are my religious efforts enough? Here's a question I think millions of people have thought throughout history. What happens if I, just like my peer group, reject Jesus because my peer groups rejected Jesus? Peer pressure. How about this one? Am I really going to heaven? Jesus seems to address it right out of the gate. He goes right, he leapfrogs all the things, says, you can't get to heaven unless you're born again. Nicodemus is like, I didn't ask that. <laughs> the presence of Jesus and the words of Jesus, they raise our consciousness towards what really matters. The Bible matters a lot more than consumer reports. People that will investigate weeks which microwave to buy but won't look at where their soul is going to go. This is out of balance. In the nth degree out of balance, right? The presence of Jesus raises our conscience to what really matters. Remember, Nicodemus hasn't actually asked a question about his soul, has he? At least not verbally. Remember, Jesus is looking inside. You don't have to say what you're thinking. He sees what you're thinking. Isn't that awesome? Or frightening if you don't know him? But deep within Nicodemus' statement, which is 100% true, Jesus really is sent from God. That is true. He really is the rabbi teacher. That's true. Everything he said is true. He is indeed come from God. But inside his statement, I believe, are two core questions he's having. And here's where I think they are. Number one, he's thinking, who is Jesus? Is he just equal to Elijah or above Elijah? Who is Jesus? And where do I stand with God versus where I think I stand with God? That's a big question that everyone on planet Earth has to ask themselves. Where do I stand with God versus where I think I stand with God? Because where you think you stand with God is not the same. Jesus, remember we saw last week, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I said, I will say then, depart from me, I never knew you. You want to know where you really stand with God, not intellectually. And everyone 
needs to consider who Jesus is. Everyone needs to consider who Jesus is. And where we stand with the Lord. Now at least Nicodemus, we would all agree, at least Nicodemus is responding to truths he's already heard in the temple. He doesn't decide to hate Jesus. He doesn't decide to say, I'm sticking with the religious aristocracy. This guy, let's get rid of him. He finds a nighttime way to get to him. At least he wants to go and understand. He's responding to the truth that he's already received. If you're online, are you responding to the truth you've already received? God will give you more truth when you respond to the truth you've already received. And in wisely coming to Jesus, I believe his heart's in this kind of place. Something along the lines like, I don't get everything I'm hearing, but I want to. If there are things I need to know, would you please tell me? These are honest questions that we need to ask God. And I'm still asking some of these questions years after being saved. How about, can I get an amen on that? You're still like, Lord, if there's something I need to understand about this situation, please tell me. If there's something about me that's way out of line here, please show me. We get the sense of Nicodemus' heart and that response of Jesus, you must be born again. Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Not, eh, it's an option. You can always choose Islam, you can always choose this, you can always do that. No, no, no. Must be born again. Of course, Islam wasn't around then, but that's a different story. Not only that, but it's impossible to enter into heaven the eternal kingdom of God, without a second birth. Without a second birth. Understand that Nicodemus was a scholar, a learned man, not just anything, but from Genesis to Malachi, he had studied the law and the prophets, the Tanakh, which is the Jewish term for what we call the Old Testament. Don't call it the Old Testament to Jewish people. They don't like that terminology the only testament they have. We have the New Testament. So Tanakh is fine. The Law and Prophets is fine. If you want to talk about Jesus to an unbelieving Jew, uh, I would suggest not saying Old Testament. You could say Law and Prophets. But it was the only testament that it was currently written when Jesus was there, right? Remember, the New Testament comes later. But he was a scholar of all the Law and Prophets, and he was completely taken aback at Jesus' words. In fact... Jesus is the first to ever make this statement in all the scriptures. He's the first to ever say, you must be born again. That specific sentence no one ever said until Jesus said it. I've asked many people over the years when I've witnessed people, I said, you've heard the term born again? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, who do you think came up with it? Well, you Christians did. Mm -mm. Nope. We didn't come up with it. Can I, can I have you open to John chapter 3? Have you heard of Jesus? He came up with it. He said you have to be born again. The ears of Nicodemus were hearing that being born Jewish, remember he's Jewish, he has a Jewish context of all of this, he's hearing that being Jewish is not enough to secure heaven. Oh, he's born Jewish, circumcised, all that stuff. I'm in. Jesus said, you're not. You're not. It was commonly taught that Israel had been given a type of new birth when the temple had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel and the Jewish exiles had regathered into Jerusalem. So the language itself was not completely odd. It wasn't completely odd to Nicodemus, the new birth, because they had thought of Jerusalem and the nation state of kind of having a new birth when they were restored back to the land. And that terminology was used by the writers, and you can, you, know, you can see that in some of the rabbinical writings. But Jesus was clearly saying, no, you personally have to be born again. Not about Jerusalem, not about the state of Israel. You have to be, personally, your heart has to be born again. And it was also widely taught among the Jewish rabbis at that time that all of Abraham's descendants were assured of heaven. And Jesus is saying, no. Something more is needed. Being a descendant of Abraham is not enough. Now the word for again, when Jesus says born 
again. That word again can also be translated above. So birth from above or born anew are equally valid translations, and they're complementary of each other. Wouldn't you agree? Born of above, born anew are complementary. They fit two sides of the coins, like free will and um, sovereignty, two sides of a coin. They fit. But both are supernatural. Both are supernatural. And let me put it this way. What Jesus is saying, to go to heaven takes a work from heaven. To go to heaven takes a work from heaven, one soul at a time, one soul at a time, and yet we're given a free will choice to say, Lord, save my soul, or no, I don't want it. John 6, 37. And the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Isn't that great? You come to Jesus with sincere, say, Lord, save me. He will save you. Previous chapter, Jesus can see who is sincere, who is not, who's really coming to him. This one-on-one encounter of Jesus and Nicodemus, it's actually symbolic of every person on earth. Everyone needs a one-on-one with Jesus. Everyone will get one if they ask for one. Isn't that great to know? You know, there's people you can't, you can't get a meeting at the White House. You can't get a meeting with the CEO of a, a company that you're having a problem with the bills. That's not making sense. You don't get that meeting, but Jesus will give you the meeting if you come sincerely and say, I need to know where I stand with you. He'll give that meeting. It's symbolic of every person on earth needs it. We all have to come personally. Desiring truth, hearing it, accepting it, believing it, and then acting on it by faith. Note that Jesus says, most assuredly, you must, most surely, what is that? Well, that's an underscore. It's kind of along the lines of, believe me when I say. When you see most assuredly, it's kind of like saying, believe me when I tell you this. If you don't hear anything else I said, if you will, don't miss this. All of that is most assuredly. That's a, that's a, hey, listen up. Don't miss this. We cannot ignore our need for the second birth. We can't ignore it. We, it's just, it's too critical. Your soul, you only are born once and die once. Physically, you cannot ignore this, which is related to the soul. We all have to come to the valley of decision. No one else can do it for us. Nicodemus couldn't send an emissary. He had to come. Couldn't send his wife, couldn't send his kids, couldn't send a peer. He has to come to Jesus. But if we come with a surrendered heart, God will do it in us what we can't. Remember that work from heaven? God will do the work from heaven because we can't do that work. It's his work. How? Well, Jesus says, what's born... Um, he goes on to say, most surely I say, one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What's he talking about all this? Born of the spirit, water, flesh. Well, Jesus uh, explaining a couple of things here. I'm just going to break it down as quickly as I possibly can. We are born of water. All of us are born biologically through water, right? All of us. And some have proposed that when Jesus is saying that, he's talking specifically about the physical birth. I've listed the various air aspects that water related to the spiritual life. We have water baptism, which Jesus will later require in the Great Commission, go and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are born of the Spirit, which and the I put on the right side what the Bible calls this. One is out of water, our birth. One is into water, our water baptism, being immersed. Born of the Spirit, the Bible calls that living water. Born through the Word, that's called being washed by the water of the Word. And then we have a heart cleansing back in the Tanakh or the Old Testament, which is sprinkled with clean water. And different scholars have proposed that Jesus was speaking one of these. I propose he's speaking all of them at the same time. You know I have a lot of both ands in scriptures. And I believe that he's speaking to all of it in totality that all of this will take place 
in someone who really comes to him, yes, you are born of your mother, but all of this other work of the spirit that also has a spiritual water manifestation comes when you put your faith and trust in me. Nicodemus is still lost. Some of this stuff, he's like, I, I'm struggling here. You know, he's looking at all that. But this is what Jesus is saying. We can't um, we can't do any of the work other than to be water baptized. All of the inward work is the Holy Spirit. All of that's the Holy Spirit. He does that inward work. It's an invisible work. The soul is saved. You and I can't see each other's souls. You've never seen my soul. I've never seen your soul. Even though people like to say, she was a kind soul. Well, that's a phrase, but I've never seen a soul. Only God can see the soul. He can see who's marked for heaven and who is still unsaved. He can see the soul. I can't see the soul. I can experience the spirit in my soul, but I literally can't see visibly the soul. God can. We can't see our own soul, and yet we are souls. We can't see our own soul, and yet we are souls. As C.S. Lewis, I've quoted often, we're souls with bodies, not bodies with souls. We are souls with bodies. We can lose a limb, and our soul is still here the same as it was without the limb. Amen? So our body is not the same. Guy can go to Afghanistan, lose both legs. His soul is there. The legs are gone. The soul is still there. It hasn't changed. It's the soul that God deals with. Nehemiah, I mean, Nicodemus, Jesus is saying, it's the soul I'm talking about. The soul. 1 Peter 1 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hebrews 10 39, of those who believe to the saving of the soul. God does the soul level work. All who are saved will get a new body, praise the Lord. Isn't that going to be great? We're all going to get a new body. But the soul is transformed now. Now. The soul is changed now. You have a new, you become a new creation now, even though your body's still falling apart. And Jesus is making it abundantly clear in verse 8 that which is born of the flesh is flesh. No, no, that was verse 6. 8. Verse 8, sorry. Verse 8 the wind blows where it wishes, you cannot hear the sound of it, but and cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's saying, just like you can't tell how the wind is coming in and where it's coming from, the Spirit moves in a mysterious way. At the soul level, you can't see what the Spirit just did. You mean someone just said a sinner's prayer and they were radically changed? Yes, if they believe with their heart, confess their mouth that God is raised from the dead, and the soul level work, it, you couldn't see it any more than you can see wind. But it happened at the soul level. That's what he's talking about. The invisible work of the invisible spirit taking place and saving and sealing the soul. Jesus saying, you don't know how this works, but I'm telling you, when I change a heart, it's invisible. But the outward change afterward, Zacchaeus is a whole different dude before, isn't he? Right? Not robbing people anymore. Paul, totally different guy. Doesn't try to kill Christians anymore. Now he loves Christians. The, the inward was invisible, but the outward becomes very visible. One author, unknown, said salvation is so simple we can overlook it, so profound we can never comprehend it. And it's true. It's very complex at the level that Jesus said, the work of the Spirit you'll not understand. You have to respond to the truth that you get. You see, the message is simple. The, the depth and the infinite wisdom of God in doing the work of salvation is deep. Very deep. Last thing we want to look at this morning out of all this, Nicodemus says, uh, after verse 8, he says, um, how can these things be? Jesus rebukes him and says, are you, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Surely I say to you, we speak what we know, we testify what we have seen. If I have told you earthly things, you do not believe it. How will you believe the heavenly things? So Jesus rebukes him for not having comprehended the necessity of being born again even though Jesus is the first to say it in this way. Let's take a look at what Jesus is getting at here. This last 
point this morning, scriptural rebuke. Before Jesus moves to the means of salvation, i.e., which we'll look at next week, why he had to come, the need for the cross, and the essential work of faith and believing. We'll look at the means of salvation next week. Uh, and all that will produce that inward work. But before Jesus moves to the means of salvation, he rebukes Nicodemus for his ignorance of the word. And Jesus has every right to judge the nation state of Israel, the priesthood, the religious leaders, and the individual. And he, you will see in his ministry, at times he'll do all of them in the same conversation. Because he was supposed to be leading people to salvation, and they were getting led into religious practice which is not changing anyone. And we have a lot of pastors in America that will be guilty someday of leading people into religious practice, but never did anything to address the souls of mankind. That's the only thing I'm going to be accountable for, is the souls. He rebukes Nicodemus for this ignorance of the word, and Jesus is saying to him, in essence, you teach the word, you teach the scriptures, you're a religious ruler of the people, and yet you've missed the essential work of believing faith and the transformative work of God in the law and the prophets that was foreshadowing being born again. It was already foreshadowed in the Tanakh, in the law and prophets. In other words, Jesus, even though he used a phrase that had never been used before, you must be born again. No one ever said it that way. No one ever made that statement until Jesus. And it's really good that Jesus is the only one to make the statement because he's the only one that can fulfill that statement. But even though it had never been said in that way, the doctrine was already there. Do you know that? The doctrine was already there. How is that possible? Well, there's no way Abraham saved if the doctrine wasn't already there. The doctrine, in other words, the gospel was already, the foundation was already laid, that a person had to be fully changed individually. You couldn't have Esau is not automatically a believer just because he's of the lineage of Abraham, right? Jacob and Esau. One has to choose. They both have to choose, right? So the doctrine was already there of being a descendant. The fact that they had been teaching people, oh, you're good to go, you're, in, you're a descendant of Abraham. Jesus like, where did you get this idea? I'm glad you came to me. And he is going to save Nicodemus, but he's going to send him out with new understanding to preach a different message to the flock of which he had been entrusted. The doctrine was already there. And by the way, the doctrine of the Trinity, which is never mentioned by name in the Bible, I reference this every time we see it, it's also expressed here. Jesus says, we and our. He's speaking of the Godhead. Our witness. You can look in 1 John, I think it's 1 John chapter 5, and John talks about the witness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Trinity is, is seen right here where Jesus says, we know, and we testify, and we have seen, and our witness. You get a two-for-one doctrinal review here by Jesus. Two-for-one doc the, the doctrine of being born again and the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus gives both in a matter of just seconds here. Two-for-one there. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they've always been testifying from Genesis to Malachi that the new birth was hiding in plain sight. The new birth was hiding in plain sight. Let's take a look at it as we wrap up the last couple of minutes here. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you what? A new heart. This is not the New Testament. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. Jesus will become the writing of the New Testament. His ministry will become the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then he'll give the rest to the apostles and other writers of the New Testament as we go from Acts to Revelation, but the New Testament hadn't been written, but this was already there. New heart, new spirit. Each person, well, my grandpappy was a Christian, that means I am. No. New heart, new spirit. Each person, one by one. Jeremiah chapter 31. Also in the Old Testament, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the land of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. With all of his studies of the scriptures, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, how did you miss the new work of the new birth? How did you miss that? If you study the ministry of Jesus, he can be very direct many times, can he? 
And he doesn't apologize for it. Why? Because whom the Lord loves, he is going to shake you a little bit to get your attention. Most of you as parents, I know you're really kind, but there's been times you've had to really get your kids' attention. I mean, really get their attention, right? Because you loved them. And he loves Nicodemus now saying, I'm going to shake you a little bit here because you came here seeking truth. And if you want it, I don't want you to leave here the way you came. How did you miss it? Abraham believed God. It was accounted in as righteousness. He had to have a full change. It wasn't just because, you know, God liked him a lot. He had to have a new birth. He was looking forward to the cross. We look back to the cross, which we'll get into the next part in John, the rest of John chapter 3. Um, I thought this quote was uh, noteworthy looking at this. Did I, did I already have that quote up there? I think I might have. Or they skip it. Oh, I've got it coming up. The, the king that they revered the most was David. And David knew it too. David said, create in me a clean heart. I need a washing. I need a totally clean heart personally. And even though this was David coming back to the Lord, this is true at the point of salvation as well. We have to have God, only God can clean our heart. You can't clean your own heart. I can't clean my own heart. And this is the quote I was going to show you. This is the, it makes the point here. You can't clean your heart, I can't clean my Before an individual can be saved, he or she must learn they cannot save themselves. Nicodemus had to come to the place that he realized, my religious efforts can't get the job done. Me being a son of Abraham isn't enough. All the good things I've done, none of that will save me. Jesus says, yes, you need a new birth. I told you about it in the Old Testament. I'm telling you it now. You need a total rebirth. We must be born again. I'll bet you this as I close with this. I'll bet you anything God had spoken to Nicodemus before, but he wasn't listening. I bet you if you're watching online, God's spoken to you before and you weren't listening. I bet you if you're sitting here this morning, God's spoken to you before and you weren't listening. I know He's spoken to me many times before I got saved and I wasn't listening. And even since I've got saved, he's spoken to me plenty of times and I was not listening. But Jesus loves us enough. His correction is firm because this is a life and death moment here. A soul is at stake. Jesus is like, I'm going to be very firm because I want you fully saved. Fully in the kingdom. It's all done in love. We must be born again. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we just bow before you. We're thankful, Lord, that you're gentle enough to take a middle-of-the-night meeting. You took the time. You knew Nicodemus was coming. You're gentle enough, loving enough to wait for him to arrive. But you love to be firm enough to leave no doubt of what's necessary. And what's necessary is to fall at your feet and ask for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness for our hard-heartedness, our stubbornness, doing things our own way, whatever it is that's kept us from either coming to Christ or growing in Christ. I just want to talk for just a moment as we come to a close, if there's anyone watching online, or maybe you're here this morning, although I think I know everybody here, but that doesn't mean I, can, I can't see the soul. As I said, I can only see your face. God sees the soul. There's people that sit in churches. One of the big problems in our country is, which we talked about last week, 88% of Congress claims to be Christian. God sees the soul. I'm pretty sure by the fruit, that's not the case. Many people that come to church or go to church doesn't mean they're saved. Nicodemus was very religious. I love John chapter 3 as a religious man. John chapter 4 as a non-religious woman. We'll get to John 4. Jesus back to back says, religious, non-religious, doesn't matter. Both of you will need to be born again. But maybe you're listening and you've been watching and God's been speaking to you. I can't prick a human heart. I can only preach the truth. Only God can prick a human heart. But maybe you've been watching online and the Lord is saying to you, maybe you're watching online, the Lord is saying to you, you need to come to me. Your works will not get you to heaven. 
your charitable giving, your status in the community, whatever it is, your denomination, maybe you're a member of a denomination, you're a Presbyterian, you're a Methodist, you're Catholic. None of that stuff will get you into heaven. You say, Lord, I see what a sinner I am. Would you save me? Would you cleanse me? I'm deciding to follow you. That's the only thing. Jesus will save those that recognize I desperately need him and say, I need to be born again. And you might have to count the cost. Maybe you're watching online. Nicodemus had to think, what will my, what will my peer group think if I follow Jesus? I remember thinking that when I went in the altar. And finally I said, I could care less what anyone thinks. I want to be saved. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks about you. It matters what God thinks about you. And so Nicodemus finally does come to the place we'll see later in his life. He's so bold enough that he goes to Pilate asking for the body of Jesus. That's not the same man that comes in the middle of the night because he gets radically changed. He gets radically transformed. So I just want to, if God is speaking to you and you say, man, I'm religious or man, I'm not religious at all, but I know this. If I died right now, I'm not ready to meet God face to face. I am not ready to meet him. I'm not positive that I've been born again, that I've ever put my full faith and trust, that I've ever asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I want to pray with you. Just pray with me. It has to be your heart. It has to be your belief in it. But God will meet you if you are sincerely saying, Lord, I want to be changed. I want to leave these sins behind, leave my good works behind put my faith and trust in you. Just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the only way, the truth, and the life. I put my faith in you and not my works. I ask that you would cleanse me and forgive me of rejecting you up until now for all my other sins, Lord, all the Ten Commandments I've broken. Lord, trusting in maybe religion or myself, I ask that you would wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. For I'm deciding this day on January 31st, 2021, to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And now help me to grow by your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've done that, I would ask that you send us a note at calvarychapelrva.com. We would love to hear from you directly. Calvarychapelrva.com. Sorry, questions. Questions at calvarychapelrva.com. But if you send us that to that alias, questions at calvarychapelrva.com, we'd love to talk to you, maybe get you a Bible, help, uh, get you discipled if you have done that.